Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about comfort, compassion, and counseling. But before we jump into that topic, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and if you are benefiting from the content that you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast every week, then PeaceWorks University is your next best step. We have a vault of uh, all of my past teachings that we have on video, as well as homework assignments, worksheets, infographics, and a community that meets regularly to answer questions and interact on all things uh, related to the gospel and domestic abuse. So once again, if you're benefiting from the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about comfort uh, and compassion and counseling. Uh, I recently returned at the time of this recording from the Association of Biblical Counselors Called to Counsel Conference. It was an amazing event. It always is. Hundreds of believers um, seeking to learn more to improve their skill in the area of applying the scriptures to the problems of life. And ABC does a wonderful job in assembling not only powerful uh, plenary speakers, to encourage everyone in attendance, but to form teams that lead track-based specialized training in a variety of approaches, including domestic abuse, which I have the privilege of being a part of. Uh, This year as well, I had the honor of presenting at the pre-conference, and this year's pre-conference was uh, gospel narratives taking uh, stories from the Uh, gospels and applying them to counseling practice. And I wanted to share with you just one point, one movement from my presentation this past week that I think is uh, really important to the work that we do. And, And it begins this way with kind of a thesis in my mind, and I think this might resonate with many of you, especially those of you who are biblical counselors, that the counseling room provides a unique space to introduce Christ's kingdom to individuals who are alienated by sin, suffering, and circumstance. Uh, I titled my talk The Comforting Kingdom of God because oftentimes in my counseling ministry over the years, I have found that the kingdom of God and the way in which Jesus presents this kingdom reality is often upside down from the reality in which the world operates. In fact, uh, the text I used was uh, in Mark chapter 1, and the book of Mark is uh, or was written to Roman Christians and seems to kind of compare and contrast the kingdom of the world, Caesar, and the kingdom of God, Jesus. Uh, And there's so many parallels to the empire and the kingdom, and, and those parallels are almost always um, opposites or contrasting, and it's uh, kind of like Jesus is, is really presenting this bizarro world 
approach to life and hope and help. And that's one of the things I love about Jesus and about uh, kingdom perspective. And, and it is powerful when brought into the counseling room. And I would suggest, especially within the context of domestic abuse, because domestic abuse is one of those issues, even within the culture of the world, that is so complex and distorted that it, it is within the kingdom of God and within a kingdom perspective that we begin to see, I believe, most clearly as we are able to identify those who are marginalized and vulnerable and those who are oppressive and restrictive. And so for me, the, the counsel that the kingdom of God produces is, is marked with compassion. And I think that was the first point I wanted to make uh, this week at the conference, but it's something that I thought you and I could benefit from. The kingdom counsel of God is marked with compassion. There's a story from Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 40, I want to read for us regarding the man with leprosy. And Mark puts it this way. It says, a man with leprosy, in verse 40, came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He, he reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. Uh, See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Well, instead, he went out and began to talk freely. I love that about the guy. Spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but had to stay outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, we all know the drill if we've been to Sunday school. We understand the context in which this man with leprosy was living, how his life had been marked in many ways, most ways, by isolation, that they were outcasts from the ancient world, and in particular, ancient Jewish society, which is Jesus's um, operating where he's operating from. So we know that this is not a common practice to engage openly with a leper and certainly not common practice to touch someone who's been stricken with leprosy. Interesting as well is that there are two Greek words that could be used to mean willing or to desire. The first one is in regards to emotion. It's this idea of, do you feel willing? Are you moved to help? And then the second comes from one's reason. Is it logical to help? Do I have the pieces in place in order to help? It's interesting that we often still face that same dilemma today, and I think especially in domestic abuse ministry, where where sometimes... Um, stricken between the idea of am I emotionally connecting to someone or am I logically connecting to them? I'll try to unpack that in a minute, but all I'm saying is I think sometimes in biblical counseling ministry, we become more concerned with drawing a line before we create a space. And what, what I mean by that is sometimes we are most concerned about having a linear, clean picture of the counsel we're about to give based on the information we're about to hear rather than patiently and lovingly creating a space to connect with an individual. It would be easy to logically say, are you willing 
to care for this leper, and that be absolutely as long as it follows the prescribed pattern that keeps me safe and keeps others safe and operates uh, in a way that protects my reputation. I can't be seen touching a leper. I can't be seen talking too closely to a leper, and I have to make sure that all the procedural um, procedures are in place, that everything is being followed to a T. So I need to investigate, gather information, and, and then prepare to meet the needs of the leper because I am willing, but I'm willing in a linear, logical fashion versus here's someone on their knees begging, I will help. I will step into your world. I will touch you. I will love you. And of course, that's the word that's used here in Jesus's story. The leper appeals to Jesus's compassion, saying, in in such an extent, do you see my pain? Do you understand my isolation? Will you touch me? Will you sit with me? Will you heal me? And as kingdom counselors, perhaps some of our counselees are in desperate need of healing, health, support. If so, compassion seems like the primary tool in our toolbox. And yet so many times we jettison compassion or we ask compassion to wait while we string together the reasoning behind our approach. For, for example, for far too long, victims of abuse have been met in our circles with minimization. Is it really that big of a deal? With blame, what part do you have in the trauma and violence you're experiencing or suspicion? Are you sure this is what's really happening? You see, counseling that flows primarily through logic, reason, and perceptions may in fact lead to horrible counsel if we insist on first seeing certain things before being moved with compassion. For instance, we may insist on seeing the evidence. Sometimes in counseling, we may hear the story, but then want to know, I need more details. Uh, in, In regards to Jesus' story, where did the leper come from? How did he contract the disease? Where has he been since? Those weren't the questions that were leading Jesus's desire to help. But for us, oftentimes it can be. How do I know this is real? Or sometimes our perceptions will lead us to doubt. Can this really be happening in my church? I'm amazed and thankful that Jesus did not ask what the disciples thought about the leper or if anyone else was on the road that may see him or how this Interaction may damage his reputation or possibly limit his opportunities. No, instead, he was moved with compassion. He reached out his hand. He was willing. Based on our perceptions alone, we may operate in fear. We may be afraid that this engaging in the abuse conversation may lead our counselee to a place of divorcing their spouse. And that may terrify us. Or we may be afraid of false accusations, no matter how rare. It's interesting that Jesus did not seem to be afraid um, of the response, uh, afraid of what may happen as a result of his interaction with the leper. He operated again out of compassion. Then, of course, perceptions could affect our own agenda. 
you know, such as uh, I do marriage counseling. So therefore I want to see marriage restoration. I'm afraid that this may not end as successfully as I want it to because it's complex and it's messy and it's layered and it's problematic and I cannot put it on a line, but am I willing to create space? Am I willing to sit with this individual and with these problems? Yeah, I know many of the things that I've mentioned actually could be helpful eventually in the counseling process. But in the meantime, in the outset, in the point of disclosure and stepping into and building involvement and gathering data, there's a hurting person sitting in front of us asking for help. And maybe we should, I don't know, help that person. Because kingdom counsel is marked with compassion. I want to tell you a few ways that I think compassion manifests itself in, in our counsel. The first is by being tenderhearted, being moved with a position of love and care. Is my first response, how can I help this situation? Not how can I control this situation? Let me say that again. A, a, a compassionate counseling response, a tenderhearted response is, how can I help in this situation? Not how can I control this situation? When we start adding layers of management to a process of care and compassion, I'm afraid that we may uh, secondarily and, and inadvertently re-victimize individuals as we now become the controller in their life, as we now step into the position of power and authority, rather than patiently listening, learning, growing, and helping where we can, or being honest where we can't. Kingdom counsel marked with compassion is tenderhearted. It's also understanding. We will take the time to hear about our counselee's experience and, dare I say, put ourselves in their shoes. Now, I know empathy is like a hot-button word for some reason in many of our circles, but, but let's face it, here's the reality, gang. We will step into the story somewhere. We will find our place in the story you know, if you continue reading beyond this uh, narrative of, of healing of the leper, you'll come to the, um, the paralytic who's lowered into the roof. And then uh, the story of Levi, uh, Matthew, being called from the tax collector's booth. And, and even in that regard, I have to honestly put myself in the story. And I got to tell you, most of my life, I had more in common with the religious leaders who struggled with the way in which Jesus forgave the paralytic sins and the realities of which Jesus met with sinners um, and tax collectors. I think I've evolved a little bit since then. I, I would hope that I would find myself more in the position of the stretcher bearers or perhaps the sinners or the tax collectors themselves. But even in a counseling situation, when, when we want to guard against empathy, we don't want to put ourselves in someone's shoes, I'm afraid that we already do that. And really the, the question then is, are we putting ourselves in the correct shoes? Are we addressing problems the way Jesus would? Consider these words from my friend uh, Brad Hambrick. He, he wrote this in a recent post for ERLC, and I thought it to be very challenging. In regards to abuse, he wrote, one challenge is that people often don't start with the same question guiding the conversation. He said two questions that can frame the conversation about responding to a report of abuse. First, 
how would I want an abuse claim handled if I were the accused? And two, how would I want an abuse claim handled if I were the person disclosing my abuse? These questions lead conversations in different directions. For instance, question one frames the conversation from the perspective of the accused. Therefore, it views reports as potential threats. Question two frames the conversation from the perspective of the victim. Therefore, it views reports as a cry for help. So let's go back. Kingdom counsel is compassionate. Will we take time to hear what our counselees experience and dare our say, put ourselves in their shoes? And when it comes to domestic abuse, we must, through being moved with compassion, not simply, logically, perceptually addressing a problem, but relationally, emotionally, compassionately addressing the needs of those who are being harmed and confront the individuals who are doing the harming. When we see it from a protective lens, as, as if, what would it be like if I were accused? Then we begin to go toward false accusations, guarded reputations, and not compassion. Oh, and lastly... Kingdom Council really is compassionate. It's tenderhearted. It's understanding. And then here's a controversial one. You ready? It seeks to provide relief. Now, sometimes that's actually a really good work. I know that we do not always uh, want to simply provide relief and that biblical counseling has kind of shied away from that. In some counseling cases, it's not even possible to provide relief. And we have rich resources in our history and our catalog on a theology of suffering that we should use because they're tremendously beneficial. But where there is pain and where we can provide a respite from that pain, may we never feel guilty for being that oasis in the desert of someone's crisis. When relief from suffering is possible and appropriate and achievable, we should help. Where relief from suffering is possible and appropriate and achievable, we should help. We too should participate in healing ministry. Bob Kellerman, who is just a gem to the biblical counseling movement, wrote a piece, a blog post just this week that many discovered on, on Twitter where he offered a very personal story that I think puts much of this into the clear light of day. And it was summed up in a, in a nice little statement, as, as only Bob can do. He, he has a way of bringing things down to one sentence. And he said this, he said, Shepherds, please think, protect well. Stop saying, suffer well. Shepherds, please think, protect well and stop saying, suffer well. This has been an area of concern in our ministry for a long time, as you maybe have heard, where pastors and leaders use passages like 1 Peter 2 and 3 to encourage wives to stay in dangerous and harmful and abusive relationships under the guise, the thought that they are to trust God in gentleness and quietness. And we'll talk about that at a future date maybe, and I'm not opposed to gentleness and quietness. I actually think they have tremendous benefits to individuals who are suffering, but 
The thought that trusts God is simply to go back into a destructive environment, to go and suffer, to go and fold beneath the weight of affliction, is so damaging in my mind, especially considering that Peter did not stop writing the book of 1 Peter at chapter 3. But he calls elders to shepherd the flock of God in chapter 5. And I don't know if you guys know, or you can, you can obviously imagine, you're smart people. That part of the shepherd's role is to protect the sheep. And if we're using 1 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 3 to encourage wives in destructive and abusive relationships to trust God, then may I ask us as pastors to recognize that that's exactly what they're trying to do when they come to us for help, to trust God. And perhaps instead, using Bob's words for just a moment, <clears throat> perhaps instead of walking them to the door and encouraging them to suffer well, perhaps we take the words of 1 Peter 5 seriously and we protect them well. Kingdom counsel is marked with compassion, my friends. Compassion that moves us in tenderheartedness. Compassion that draws us into understanding and compassion that, yes, even seeks to provide relief when possible and achievable. Thank you so much for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast today. I hope that our conversation has been beneficial to you. And if you're a biblical counselor, pastor, or leader that wants to know more about applying gospel solutions and gospel uh, realities to the work of domestic abuse, then please consider following us um, and, and learning more about us at chrismoles.org. Again, we're so thankful for leaders like Bob Kellerman and the Association of Biblical Counselors who are seriously um, considering and taking the time to articulate great and healthy responses to the problem of domestic abuse from a biblical perspective. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.